0: Chapter I of What the White Race May Learn from the Indian by George Wharton James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter One, The White Race and Its Treatment of the Indian. Ever since the white race has been in power on the American continent, it has regarded the Indian race, and by this I mean all the aboriginal people found here, as its inferiors in every regard and little by little upon this hypothesis have grown up various sentiments and aphorisms which have so controlled the actions of men who never see below the surface of things and who have no thought power of their own that our national literature has become impregnated with the fiendish conception that the only good indian is the dead indian the exploits of a certain class of scouts and indian hunters have been lauded in books without number so that even schoolboys are found each year running away west each with a belt of cartridges around his waist and a revolver in his hip pocket for the purpose of hunting indians good men and women people of the highest character are found to be possessed of an antipathy toward the indian that is neither moral nor christian men of the highest integrity in ordinary affairs will argue forcefully and with an apparent confidence in the justice of their plea that the indian has no rights in this country that we are bound to respect they are here merely on sufferance and whatever the united states government does for them is pure and disinterested philanthropy FOR WHICH THE INDIAN SHOULD BE ONLY GRATEFUL AND HUMBLE. TO ME THIS IS A DAMNABLE STATE OF AFFAIRS. IF PRIOR POSSESSION ENTITLES ONE TO ANY RIGHT IN LAND, THEN THE INDIAN OWNS THE LAND OF THE UNITED STATES BY PRIOR RIGHT. THE SO-CALLED ARGUMENT THAT BECAUSE THE INDIAN IS NOT WISELY USING THE LAND, AND THAT THEREFORE HE STANDS IN THE WAY OF PROGRESS AND MUST BE REMOVED and further, that we, the people of the United States, are the providentially appointed instruments for that removal, is to me so sophistical, so manifestly insincere, so horribly cruel, that I have little patience either to listen or reply to it. If this be true, what about the vast holders of land whom our laws cherish and protect? are they holding the land for useful and good purposes are they helping on the cause of civilization by their merciless and grasping control of the millions of acres they have generally so unlawfully and immorally secured thousands nay millions of acres are held by comparatively few men without one thought for the common good the only idea in the minds of these men is the selfish one what can i make out of it let us be honest with ourselves and call things by their proper names in our treatment of the weaker race if the indian is in the way and we are determined to take his land from him let us at least be manly enough to recognize ourselves as thieves and robbers and do the act as the old barons of europe used to do it by force of arms fairly and cheerfully you have these broad acres i want them i challenge you to hold them to the victor belongs the spoils then the joust began and he who was the stronger gained the acres and the castle let us go to the indian and say I want your lands, your hunting grounds, your forests, your waterholes, your springs, your rivers, your cornfields, your mountains, your canyons. I need them for my own use. I am stronger than you. There are more of us than there are of you. I've got to have them. You will have to do with less. I'm going to take them, and then proceed to the robbery but let us be above the contemptible meanness of calling our theft benevolent assimilation or manifest destiny or seeking the higher good of the indian a nation as well as a race may do scoundrel acts but let it not add to its other evil the contemptible crime of conscious hypocrisy the unconscious hypocrite is to be pitied as well as shaken out of his hypocrisy but the conscious hypocrite is a stench in the nostrils of all honest men and women the major part of the common people of the united states have been unconscious of the hypocritical treatment that has been accorded the indians by their leaders whether these leaders were elected or appointed officials or self-elected philanthropists and reformers hence while i would shake them up and make them conscious of their share in the nation's hypocrisy I have no feeling of condemnation for them. On the other hand, I feel towards the conscious humbugs and hypocrites who use the Indian as a cloak for their own selfish aggrandizement and advancement, as the Lord is said to have felt toward the lukewarm churches when he exclaimed, I will spew thee out of my mouth in our treatment of the indian we have been liars thieves corrupters of the morals of their women debauchers of their maidens degraders of their young manhood perjurers and murderers we have lied to them about our good pacific and honourable intentions we have made promises to them that we never intended to keep made them simply to gain our own selfish and mercenary ends in the easiest possible way and then have repudiated our promises without conscience and without remorse we have stolen from them nearly all they had of lands and worldly possessions only two or three years ago i was present when a avasupai indian was arrested for having shot a deer out of season taken before the courts and heavily fined when his own father had roamed over the region hunting as his ancestors had done for centuries before ere there were any white men's laws or courts forbidding them to do what was as natural for them to do as it was to drink of the water they found eat of the fruits and berries they passed or breathe the air as they rode along the law of the white man in reference to deer and antelope hunting is based upon the selfishness of the white man who in a few generations has slain every buffalo most of the mountain sheep elk moose and left but a comparative remnant of deer and antelope the indian has never needed such laws he has always been unselfish enough to leave a sufficient number of this wild game for breeding purposes or if it was not unselfishness that commanded his restraint his own self-interest in piling up meat was sacrificed to the general good of his people who required meat also and must be able to secure it each year hence to-day we shut off the law by normal and natural source of meat supply of the indian without any consultation with him and absolutely without recourse or redress, because we ourselves, the white race, are so unmitigatingly selfish, so mercenary, so indifferent to the future needs of the race, that without such law we would kill off all the wild game in a few short years. Then who is there who has studied the Indian and the white man's relations to him? who does not know of the vile treatment the married women and maidens alike have received at the hands of the superior people let the story of the devilish debaucheries of the young indian girls by indian agents and teachers be fully written and even the most violent defamers of indians would be compelled to hang their heads with shame to those who know the name of paris a southern california indian school brings up memories of this class of crime that makes one's blood hot against the white fiend who perpetrated them and i am now as i write near to the havasupi reservation in northern arizona where one of the teachers had to leave surreptitiously because of his discovered immoralities with indian women and girls only a decade ago the name of the Wallapai woman was almost synonymous with immorality because of the degrading influences of white men and one of the most pathetic things i ever heard was the hopeless what can we do about it of an indian chief on in the colorado desert when i spoke to him of the demoralization of the women of his people in effect his reply was the whites have so driven us to the wall that we are often hungry and it is far easier to be immoral than to go hungry then read the reports of the various indian agents throughout the country who have sought to enforce the laws against whites selling liquor to indians officials and courts alike have often been supine and indifferent to the indians welfare and have generally shown far more desire to protect the white man in his vested interests than to protect the young men of the indian tribes against the evil influences of liquor again and again i have been in indian councils and heard the old men declaim against the white man's fire-water the havasupais declare it to be hanatuapagi very bad the navajos dashondi of the evil one while one and all insist that their young men shall be kept from its demoralizing influence yet there is seldom a fiesta at which some vile white wretch is not willing to sell his own soul and violate the laws of whites and indians alike in order to gain a little dirty pelf by providing some abominable decoction which he sells as whiskey to those whose moral stamina is not strong enough to withstand the temptation and as for perjury in our dealings with indians read the records of broken treaties violated pledges and disregarded vows noted by helen hunt jackson in her century of dishonor and then say whether the charge is not sustained yet when the indian has dared to resent the cruel and abominable treatment accorded to him in so many instances and in such fearful variety he has been called treacherous vindictive fiendish murderous because in his just and righteous indignation and wrath he has risen and determined to slay all he could find of the hated white race no doubt his warfare has not always been civilized why should it be how could it be he is not civilized he knows nothing of christian principles in a war which christian people have forced upon him as an act of self-defence he is a savage battling with savage ferocity savage determination to keep his home that of his ancestors for himself his children and their children oom paul kruger told the british that if they forced a war upon the boers for the possession of the transvaal they would win it at a price that would stagger humanity yet thousands of good americans honored oom paul for his bravery his patriotism his godlike determination to stand for the rights of his people but if our indian does the same thing in the defence of his home and slaughters a lot of soldiers sent to drive him away he is guilty of murderous treachery his killings are massacres and he must be exterminated as speedily as possible whoever hears any other than the term massacre applied to the death of custer and his soldiers the custer massacre is as familiar as household words yet what is a massacre webster says one the killing of a considerable number of human beings under circumstances of atrocity or cruelty or contrary to the usages of civilized people two murder with such definitions in view look at the facts of the case i would not have it understood in what i say that i am condemning custer he was a general under orders and as a dutiful servant he was endeavoring to carry them out the debatable question as to whether he was obeying or disregarding orders i leave for military men themselves to settle it is not custer or any other one individual that i am condemning but the public national policy custer's army was ordered to proceed against these men and forcibly remove them from the place they had chosen as their home and which had been theirs for centuries before a white man ever trod this continent and take them to a reservation which they disliked and in the choice of which their wishes desires or comfort had in no way been consulted the white soldiers were armed and it is well known that they intended to use these arms could they have come upon the indians by stealth or by some stratagem they would have done so without any compunctions of conscience and no one would ever have thought of administering a rebuke to them even though in the fight that would undoubtedly have ensued every indian had been slain it would have been heralded as a glorious victory and we should have thanked god for his goodness in directing our soldiers in their honorable warfare but unfortunately the incident turned in another direction the would-be captors were the caught the would-be surprisers were the surprised the would-be slayers were the slain custer and his band of men brave and gallant as united states soldiers generally are and i would resent with heat any slanderous remark to the contrary were surrounded surprised and slain to a man weep at the grave of custer weep at the graves of his men weep with the widows and orphans of those suddenly surprised and slain soldiers my own tears have fallen many a time as i have read and re-read the details of that awful tragedy but still in the weeping do not be dishonest and ungenerous to the victors indians though they were upon the testimony of no less an authority than general charles king who has known the sioux personally and intimately for years they were ever the hospital friends of the white race until a post commander whose name should be pilloried for the execration of the nation imbued with the idea that the only good indian was the dead indian betrayed and slew in cold blood a number of them who had trusted to his promises and placed themselves in his hands the result was that the whole tribe took this slaughter to their own hearts as any true patriots would have done and from that day to this the major part of the Sioux have hated the white race with the undying, bitter hatred of the vindictive savage. Again and again, when I have visited Indian schools, the thoughtful youths and maidens have come to me with complaints about the American history they were compelled to study. In their simple, almost colorless way of expressing themselves, a bystander would never dream of the fierce anger that was raging within but which i was too experienced in indian character not to perceive listen to what some of them have said when we read in the united states history of white men fighting to defend their families their homes their cornfields their towns and their hunting grounds they are always called patriots AND THE CHILDREN ARE URGED TO FOLLOW THE EXAMPLE OF THESE BRAVE, NOBLE, AND GALLANT MEN. BUT WHEN INDIANS, OUR ANCESTORS, EVEN OUR OWN PARENTS, HAVE FOUGHT TO DEFEND US AND OUR HOMES, CORNFIELDS, AND HUNTING GROUNDS, THEY ARE CALLED VINDICTIVE AND MERCILESS SAVAGES, BLOODY MURDERERS, AND EVERYTHING ELSE THAT IS VILE. YOU ARE THE INDIAN'S FRIEND, will you not sometime please write for us a united states history that will not teach us such wicked and cruel falsehoods about our forefathers because they loved their homes enough to fight for them even against such powerful foes as you have been and i have vowed that if ever i have time and strength and feel competent to do it i will write such a history Yet this is by no means all the charge I have to make against my own race in its treatment of the Indian. Not content with depriving him of his worldly possessions, we have added insult to injury, and administered a far deeper and more cutting wound to him by denying to him and his wives and daughters the moral, poetical, and spiritual qualities they possess to many of the superior race this is utter nonsense the idea that an indian has any feelings to be hurt how ridiculous yet i make the assertion fearless of successful contradiction that many indians feel more keenly this ignoring of the good the poetic the aesthetic the religious or spiritual qualities they possess than they do the physical wrongs that have been inflicted upon them. As a race, we are prejudiced, bigoted, and big-headed, when looking upon any other race. We come by our prejudices naturally. The Englishman looks down upon the frog-eating Frenchman, and used to say he could lick ten or a dozen such. The Frenchman and Englishman both scoff at the beer-drinking German and the stolid Dutchman. Yet France has to remember Sedan, and England still smarts at the name of Van Tromp. The fact is that no nation can afford to look down upon another, any more than any civilization can afford to crow over another. Each has its own virtues, its own goods, its own advantages. France, England, Germany, America have never equaled, much less surpassed, the architecture of Greece, Egypt, and Rome. The United States, with all its brag and boast, has never had a poet equal to old blind Homer or the Italian Dante. Germany's Goethe is worthy to stand side by side with England's Shakespeare. And the architecture of the rude and vulgar goths is the supremest crown of all building in the proud and conceited English-speaking mother country. And so have I learned to look at the Indian. He has many things that we can take to our advantage and profit, and some of these have been presented in the following pages. In the next chapter, I have a few necessary reservations and observations to make which I trust the patience of the reader will permit him carefully to consider. End of chapter 1